Allow myself to introduce myself. Coming up on Philosophy Talk, self and self-presentation. How many yous have you been? So typical of Bart. All he thinks about is himself. How different can we make our public personas from our private selves? Steven, any thought of running for political office yourself? No, no, absolutely none. I have said terrible things with a straight face on camera. <laughs> can you imagine the political ads that could be run against me? Can you imagine? What I am is what I am, you what you are. decides what my persona is, me or the rest of you. Our guest is Susan Heckman from the University of Texas at Arlington. Self and self-presentation. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're here at the studios of KALW, San Francisco. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner at Stanford. That's where Ken teaches philosophy, and I did for a long time. Forty years, I think it was. John, today we're thinking about the self and self-representation. Well, those are... Two different things, I think. Uh, when I think about the self, what I mostly think about is metaphysics, the metaphysics of persons, what makes for a single person and self-identity. I want to know exactly what a self is, and I want to know what distinguishes one self from another. And when you think about self-presentation? Well, then it seems to me you're probably talking psychology or, or maybe politics or marketing or something like that. I mean, it's a fine topic, but it has to do with how we present ourselves to other people and to ourselves, so what, what properties we emphasize. It's not about who we or what we really are in and of ourselves. You know, John, you sound a little Cartesian there, dude. Oh, no, 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 no. Descartes believed in immaterial souls, and he took the self to be one of those. I want no part of that. Yeah, but the thing is, you seem to believe that the self is a thing, you know, unto itself with a nature independent of how it's perceived or presented. I'm not sure I believe that anymore. I, I think that maybe for the self, it might just be that to be is to be perceived, to be presented. Ah, I see your problem, big guy. You're confusing the me with the I. Oh, and you're throwing George Herbert Mead at me, aren't you? Well, Mead's distinction is very important. The me, that's, that's what others treat me as. It's how they see me. The I is the inner self. It, it's really more how I see myself or maybe how I really am, even if I don't quite understand myself. But uh, things aren't as simple as Mead wanted to make out. I, I never was convinced. Cause, well, partly, think of all the different contexts in which we have to present ourselves. The workplace, the political arena, the family, social media. And in these different contexts, we reveal and conceal different things about ourselves. Well, how does that show that there's no such thing as one true self? It certainly doesn't refute the idea that there can be a gap between what you really are and what you present yourself as being. But my question is, where do you catch a glimpse of this true inner self? Where can you observe the self, you know, raw, unfiltered, and unadulterated? Do you, do you retreat to a desert island, John? Do you peer incessantly at your own navel? How do you do it, John? 
Boy, you're confused. <laughs> you're throwing mead back at me again? Is that is that what you want to do? Well, not quite, but it's related. But now I think you're drifting into being confused about the difference between social identity, uh, you know, that's kind of what we present ourselves as being, and personal identity, what makes us the same person from time to time. Why don't you enlighten me and our listeners, oh, wise one, about this distinction. Okay, ask yourself, what makes Ken Taylor count as the very same person again and again at different times and different places? When I first knew you, you were young and, and, and full of awe for me, and now you've changed remarkably, right? You're old and... That's a question about personal identity. What makes you the same through all those changes in personality and physique? Personal identity doesn't depend on anything social. It's metaphysical. Ken Taylor alone on a desert island with no one around to perceive him would still be Ken Taylor. Okay, I get that. And now social identity? What are you talking about there? Well, that's a matter of the social markers by which you and others identify you. What you think about is important about yourself and what they think is important about you. Markers that assign meaning and social significance to your acts and choices. It's part of your social identity, Ken, that you're an African-American, a heterosexual, a philosopher, and a lifelong Democrat, okay. I assume. Okay, but, but, but tell, me, tell me this. How do these facts about personal identity constrain or relate to facts about social identity? Well, uh, not all that much. I mean, you would surely be the same you in the sense of personal identity, even if uh, uh, you were not straight, black, or, or even the most basic. A Democrat. Well, what if, what, if, what, if, what if I weren't male? What if I weren't a person of color? Could I still be the very same person? Well, those are difficult questions. Uh, the politically correct answer is yes, well, and I'm inclined to think that's the right answer. Well, let me ask you that. Let me ask you, listen, when we talk about the real self, are we talking about something at the level of social identity or something at the level of personal identity? Well, sometimes one, sometimes the other. No clear answer. Well, bear with me for a second. Let's follow this out. Suppose that the real self is social. Isn't it then bound to be variable and multiple in all these ways? But then how could any one of these variable and multiple social identities have a greater claim to being my real self than any other of them? Well, I think you should conclude that the real self is not a social self, but is prior to all merely social identities. Well, that's what I was trying to get you to say. But now I've got a different worry. I worry that the real self is just an empty shell. It's devoid of all content. It, it's unable to provide any concrete guidance as to what I am or to, to do or to be or to present myself as in the, in the social world. Well, you're about to conclude that the real self is just a philosopher's fiction. Or that the self is little more than an arbitrary bundle of poses and personae that you put on and take off at will. How very pomo of you, Ken. Mm, I'm not quite sure I want to go all the way there, but you do have to admit, John, that the real self is at least a tiny bit elusive, don't you, dude? Well, I can hardly deny that. And to help us track down the real self, we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Shuka Kalantari, out to find out when people are at their most veiled and their most raw, she files this report. Politicians can be good at saying one thing and doing another. Like in 2014, when Republican Representative Paul Ryan dumped water on Mitt Romney's head during the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. Hey, buddy. Hey, How, you doing? How are you doing? Not good. That is cold. <laughs> Thing is, three years earlier, Paul Ryan had voted for legislation that defunded millions in ALS research. And it's not just politicians. We all have a time, a place, a situation where we aren't really our authentic selves. We do something because others are doing it. 
like pour buckets of cold water over people's heads. We veil our true identities to blend in with the crowd. So I asked a few folks, when are you the least real you? I was probably my least authentic self working in restaurants as a server. People get upset when you're serving them, and even if you uh, feel like they're in the wrong, you really have to hold back. Sometimes if I was in the company of a large group of people at a bar and everyone's drinking and I don't feel like drinking or necessarily even telling jokes or having fun, then, uh, then I feel least like my true self. I remember feeling even the positive moments where people would, I would get along with a customer. I still felt like I wasn't actually, that wasn't really me or that I was holding back. You know, there was such a separation between the server and the people being served. People that I don't hang out with just to hang out with, but there's always some activity going on. I asked those same people, when are you your most authentic self? I guess at home with my family. Either working out or dancing or somewhere where I don't have to be talking with people. If somebody's suffering or the loss of a parent or a loved one and you have to be supported or support that person, I feel like that's when you just don't really think about what's going to make you look good. I told a friend that I'm my truest self with my son and husband. Then she asked me, so what self were you before they were around? Good point. Who is my true self? I don't think there's a quote-unquote true self because I think the moment you would define a true self, it would almost be too confining already. Lucky for me, there's a ton of online quizzes to help. So I took one. Which color do you like the best? Red. What foods do you like the most? Um, salty? Which hairstyle is best on a girl? Seriously? I don't care. Okay, this is your true self. You have a happy personality. You are going far in life. Don't let others push you around. That makes absolutely no sense as a definition of a true self. I know. I'm sorry. Some things in life make us put on various masks and others allow us to be more comfortable, more authentic, more our true selves, even if we're not quite sure what true self really means. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Shuka Kalantari. Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music, or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.